Welcome to Closer to Venus. I'm Johnny Burke, and today's guest is Dr. Krishna Bhatta, author of the book, Journey from Life to Life. Doctor, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me on your podcast. A title like Journey from Life to Life has some pretty big implications. What was your inspiration, or should I say inspirations, for writing the book? There were several factors. Of course, growing up in India, everywhere you go, you know, in some conversation, there is mention of either the past life or the future life. I rarely, if ever, hear people talking about a past life or a future life, for that matter. Yeah. I come to UK and US, nobody talks about it. (laughs) (laughs) It's interesting how, how that is, and I'm not sure. I was raised Catholic like a lot of my fellow Yanks, as we like to call ourselves, and it's what we notice is that reincarnation for many people is still a bit of a taboo subject. With the book, you know, when you talk about journey from life to life, I take it you're talking about past lives, am I right? Or future lives. Future lives. Can you describe some of the differences between a past life and a future life? The experiences of past life or out-of-body experiences are stories I have heard. I haven't had personal past life experience because past life regression exercise, you have to become totally past-oriented like Normally, we are future-oriented. We think about tomorrow, what will happen next month, what will I do on vacation when I go in like February or when Corona goes away. We don't think of, okay, what did I do yesterday or what did I eat a year ago? We are very much, at least in Western culture, we are very much future-oriented. Like, you know, what am I doing tomorrow? What are my job responsibilities tomorrow? What bills do I have to pay by next week or next month? It's very true. There are some hypnosis or hypnotherapist who will take you to some extent in the past or the remote past. I don't know if they can take you to past life. But the real exercises of past life regression, you have to become really a past oriented and then you can slowly start remembering the past, which I did not have time or energy or the orientation to do because I was in medicine and there is always something like to get my degrees or diplomas or trainings. Yeah. The way I understand it, in order to access past lives, there's essentially two methods to do that. One is through hypnosis with a therapist that actually knows how to do past life regression in order to access the memories. And two is through meditation. So there are two takeaways that I want your listeners or any reader to take away from the book. One is you have to have a happy life or a successful life and a good life to be able to think about what will happen next life. If you ever come back, if you, or even if you don't believe you come back after you die, if you do good karma, you will have probably a good life after you die. So that's important. So this book does talk about how to live a happy life, how to be successful in life. There is five pillars of success, one of the chapters. It also talks about an infrastructure, like we have an infrastructure, like presidential election, the whole election process, there was an infrastructure. 
when you become a president, there is already an existing infrastructure where you can go and continue working what you are doing. And sometimes you have to create an infrastructure. Like the first, our forefathers who wrote the constitution, they created a new infrastructure for the country. Similarly, there is also a spiritual infrastructure. Or there is exists an infrastructure in which we are born, we live this life like a, you come into a, born into a family, you are given an identity, you develop more attachments, like somebody is your father, somebody is your mother, somebody is your sister. Then you expand your attachments by going to school and developing friends and spouse and all that. And then somebody, some spiritualist comes and says, you have to drop your attachments. But but basically you expand this infrastructure exists to support you. And there is an infrastructure that supports you after you die. And in that infrastructure, there have been bridges. And one bridge may be Jesus. The other bridge may be Buddha, who worked on both sides if you can imagine that, that they tried or helped create the bridge between where we are and what happens after we die. So as you said, if you are a Christian and you die, you see angels. If you are a Buddhist, you may not see angels. Their infrastructure may be different. The bridge may be different. Okay, so that would seem to be very consistent with lots of other research on near-death experiences and past lives, where exactly as you just explained, if you're a Christian, you may see Jesus or or angels or something consistent with, you know, that religion or that culture, whereas, you know, a Buddhist may see something different, you know, a Muslim might see Muhammad and so forth. Now, is it, in your opinion, are those images, is that a product of our imagination is that something to do with a certain energy? What exactly is that? And that's the perfect word you used. What exactly it is, is hard to know. But when we die, most of us or majority of us go into a dream state, as you mentioned, because we fall, you know, we, very few of us die consciously. If you read about Socrates, it is mentioned that or at least what I have read, that uh, when he was given this hemlock or poison to drink, everybody wanted to be kind of, you know, sad and sobbing. And he said, no, 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 don't do any of those. And he kind of kept walking or kept himself awake to experience the last moments of his death. And he kept reporting until he could not report anymore and said, I'm still the whole thing. I mean, the body, I can't use my hand or I can't speak, but inside my wholeness is still there. Very interesting. When you mentioned Socrates, for some reason, anytime someone mentions Socrates, I also think of Plato. And I'm pretty sure as Plato in his work, The Republic, many people in the field consider that to be the first reporting of a near-death experience. I believe it was one of the soldiers But it's interesting that you mentioned that when we die, it's usually in a dream state. And the dream state can be, I think, considered 
you know, a rebuttal for a naysayer who says, oh, you know, near-death experiences, that's just a product of a dream state or something that happens in the brain. But when you consider a source like Dr. Eben Alexander, his book, I believe it's called Proof of Heaven, where his entire thesis, if you want to boil it down, is consciousness survives the death of the brain. It's interesting that you bring that up. I don't know how familiar you are with his work, but here in our world, that was one particular book that was pretty much popular across you know different classes and so forth, where you can go almost anywhere and someone's heard of that. Yes. Also, your book mentions Siddhartha. Which I believe means he who has found meaning. Is that true? So his name was Gautam before. And after he achieved his enlightenment, he started being called Siddhartha. But yeah, the meaning of that word also is, you know, one who attains. You are right. Coming back to your consciousness, I just wanted to mention that in my app, you know, which is Relax with 2X, I mentioned that we have three, we are born with three entities, not just two. Most of us are familiar with body and mind. But there is a third element which we all have and that I call individual consciousness. So it's separate from the, you know, the bigger consciousness. Just imagine that there is a piece of consciousness within you and that survives. And that's what you mentioned a few seconds ago. Would that be the collective unconsciousness or is that something else? Something else, totally else. It is we all have an individual consciousness and that's not the spirit, that's not the soul. It's just think of three elements in our body. I mean, it's hard to think, but let me try to think it with you. One is body, the physical body, which is essential without physical body everything else is meaningless because you can't have floating mind without the body, can't do anything, can't go to universities, can't go to colleges. The same way, even the floating consciousness cannot grow as long as we don't have a body. So you have that physical body in which there is an energy body, which is the life energy. And then you have mind, and mind has... The minding element, which, you know, we all know about, you know, that's constantly happening, constantly going on. And then there is a mindfulness. And then we have the individual consciousness, which is awareness goes with that. So if there was no awareness, then you wouldn't have the, your you wouldn't know about any of, anything about your consciousness. So when you sit and do any meditation or any silent practice, the watcher, the one that is watching, is that individual consciousness. The individual, okay, all right. And that is the awareness. So there is a little distinction, subtle distinction between awareness and mindfulness. Mindfulness is a property of your mind which will record things. Awareness is just just being aware. It's not recording, it's not reporting, it's just just feeling or just, you know, witnessing what is around. Now, the individual consciousness that you're talking about, when we die, does that find another vessel or does that, obviously, that keeps going? What happens to the individual consciousness? And to understand that, this book gets into different bodies. So we have a physical body that we know of, we are aware about, 
we know and we know that physical body dies we all know that every religion every you know person believes in that then there is a ethereal body which is like a vapor body and that vapor body normally we feel about it when you feel very happy you feel right big if we are depressed you feel very small and constricted or restricted that's the property of that uh, ethereal body and then the m- most important body is the astral body it's like electronic form of your body and that is the one that journeys along with your individual consciousness right so when we go from life to life or life to no life but basically yeah there is something that exits from this physical body and in near the death experience or sometimes in nightmares where you feel there's something is outside your whole body is paralyzed you can't move anything at that moment in time it's likely that your astral body has gone come out of your body accidentally or somehow so when you feel like when you're having a nightmare and you can't move and you feel very helpless you're saying that really could mean is that your astral body has temporarily left temporarily left yeah wow i did not know that very interesting i mean this is the concept i am tr- proposing i mean it's like it's not a proven science but i have worked on this astral body so i can kind of say it with some sort of experience but the same thing happens in the near death experience some event happens and suddenly your ex- astral body gets out Now, how about when we talk about near-death experiences, past lives? What about what happens in the lives between lives, the lives between this one and the next rebirth, if we want to call it that? Yeah, that's what I was trying to say. You know, or no life. So, yeah, I mean, there is a holding holding place, and that one I'm not very clear. But there are so many descriptions about it. I mean. You, Uh, the heaven and hell is that real or is that dream experience we don't know but most religions have that uh, concept that yes you know and you can be dreaming like when you dream like you know i mean nothing is going to burn astral body is not like the physical body it is not affected by heat or temperature or it's unbreakable <laughs> right it's unbreakable it's not going it's yeah. not going to die it's not going to burn out right but you can have that dream of ha- happening that that's definitely a good thing to know because i often wondered when i have these nightmares and you feel like you're in danger or something has been dislodged the explanation that the astral body is temporarily left actually makes a lot of sense that brings me to it it seems question. like you have done a lot of interviews on this uh, i try to tell everyone i'm i'm not a theologian or an expert of any kind but being brought up as a catholic and you know going to ccd after school and you know being interested in these kind of things you know since i was about 18 i've talked to a lot of people and it was very frustrating whenever i tried to talk to a nun or someone who is very you know steeped in the catholic tradition or they just i felt like i was running into a wall when i asked questions about what really happens when we die i mean if i don't accept jesus do i burn in hell that didn't really make a whole lot of sense to me because a lot of the people that i saw going to church weren't necessarily like the most upstanding people anyway it made me curious about all the different world religions and also why are there so many of them 
which brings me to the next question. The difference between Hinduism, Buddhism, Jainism, and so on is probably better left to experts. But since you are from that culture, these belief systems are obviously very important in the reincarnation discussion. What are some of the most important points that people in Western civilization can learn from these disciplines? Yeah, I will answer that question. But before I go there, I'll just mention one story on the same line, as you said, you know. Yeah, sure. I had a patient who is about 87, 88 years old, and he went to the library, local library, got my book, Journey from Life to Life, uh, Achieving Higher Purpose, read, read it, then made an appointment to come and see me. He came and he basically wanted to talk to me about the book. <laughs> and his question was, does it apply to him if he's Christian? Interesting question. It was interesting because he read the whole book and you know, he kind of understood many of the parts because he really you know, had read it very well. So I, I did talk to him about, you know, the, what we talked about, the bridge built by Jesus, you know. I mean, so it does apply. I mean, he still, many of those things do apply to all of us. But you don't have to believe in it, you know. I mean, the whole takeaway from, as you said, Buddhism, Jainism, and Hinduism, or the whole area, is that go and find out for yourself. Forget about belief. I mean, when you plan for a vacation, you plan for every little detail. You don't leave it to belief system. You buy ticket, you very good uh, point. book the hotel and everything. But when it comes to death and dying, which is the most event, I mean, the biggest event in our life is death, then we say, okay, you know, I believe in this or I believe in that. We don't like to find it out. Like you have been, when you have been asking people, and, you know, people don't want to answer it. But, you know, I mean, it's not that they know the answer. But what bothers me more is why don't you want to find out? And this That's book exactly raises that question, you know, should you find out? That was one thing that was frustrating even from an early age. I quickly learned, like many people did, that there were a lot of questions that were left unanswered. And I would, I would always think, why would you not want to know that or at least point me in the right direction? And I think you made a really good point is that you believe in what you believe in and not all karma is negative. You can build up positive karma. You reap what you sow. And it's probably better to build up positive karma than the negative because I think it is important if this is not the final life and I don't think it is, it makes a whole lot more sense, you know, to think of it that way. Speaking of which, here's an example which I, I've been dying to ask you. Let's take an example of a man, you know, a typical capitalist, almost like it, treats his employees almost like a tyrant and generally does not treat people well. All he wants to do is make a lot of money at any cost. When he dies and he comes back, what can he expect or what can we expect is going to happen in his next incarnation? Yeah, that was a good question. I saw that question. I said, do I know the answer? <laughs> not many people do. <laughs> I mean, we can always speculate, but here is the, the thing. When we talk about materialism, we talk as if it is anti-spiritualism. So can a materialistic person be a spiritual person as well? For me, I want both because I may be greedy, but I want a spiritual growth and a material growth. 
So if you're... I think you can do both. I do. Yeah, I do too. I mean, there is no reason for not to do both. So our purpose in life is not just to have a spiritual achievement. It's also to live comfortably and have a good life. I think what happened is Buddha and Mahavir, you know, the the Jain, Jain, as you said, Jesus, they left the mainstream. But if you go in ancient history of India, like Ram and Krishna, they stayed in the mainstream. They were kings and they stayed kings. Buddha was a king. He left kingdom to achieve something. And that became an example for us to think like, okay, there is something wrong with the material world. True. When you ignore everything else, I, I think there is. I don't think there's any shame in trying to provide for your family and live a comfortable life. And there's definitely no reason to be poor on purpose. The reason I ask that is that from what I've gathered by following the works of way too many people to mention, it seems like some cases where we talk about karma, someone's a not very good person in one life, there might be a polarity switch where he or she is going to be treated as they treated others in the past life. And in other circumstances, instead of hitting the polarity switch, they seem to continue on their way until they actually learn the right path where they can actually start to ascend and grow spiritually. There seems to be two different theories on karma, but I think you're right. There's no way to really know for sure. The reason why I became interested in the live between lives readings is that it gives a very clear picture of that person, you know, having like the life review and basically being told, you know, you need to work on this. What we're going to do is we're going to let you pick a body and then you're going to go back and you're going to work on those things if you want to grow. If not, we're not going to make you do it. Just imagine this. If let's say I were to die tomorrow and I have the experience and I go before the council of elders and they look at me and they say, okay, Johnny, you did some things good and some things were not so good. You're a good guitar player, but you cheated on your girlfriends and you were not honest about a lot of things. So we're going to give you a choice of bodies to go back into so you can learn to grow spiritually because earth is a spiritual school. Yeah. No, Johnny, you hit the point. Karma based. So most of these things are karma based and there are descriptions. And so if Johnny did one bad thing and two good things, two good things will be rewarded and one bad thing will have its own repercussions. It's not like it's a joint. It's not like mixture or something. So each karma is neutralized or in its own right. And there are descriptions that if you have done enough good karmas, you go and spend time before coming back and spend some good time in some good place, whatever name you give it, and then you come back. But instead of somebody regulating you, there is also what I think more likely is auto-regulation. So everything is, is system. I mean, God has created a wonderful body for us And many systems just work until, you know, something goes wrong. So the same way, the spiritual infrastructure I was talking to you, the infrastructure is such that many of those things are, you know, there is no need for somebody to intervene. Okay. Were you referring to the bridge 
that you mentioned before. Okay. The bridge is made, and if you are karma based, then you know you have done some things. You go to this section and you complete that that part, and then once you have exhausted all of those, you come back, and you can go through the cycle until you get enlightened. That makes a lot of sense. And since you mentioned cycle. One last question. Your book also mentions the, the Bhagavad Gita, which I believe the purpose of, of learning this, this text, this document, was to escape the cycle of birth and death. What can you tell our listeners about how to actually apply that you know, in the present life? Yeah, so my take on Bhagavad Gita is different. My take on Bhagavad Gita, Gita has been to be a successful person. And that's uh, one of the chapters in that book is on Bhagavad Gita, but it's also the key takeaway is five pillars of success. And those five pillars of success are in the book, you know, how to be a successful, live a successful life. But escaping from life, this book, Journey from Life to Life, doesn't deal with that. Journey for life, from life to life is I think my next book will be more like escaping from life to journey from life to life. This one is how to be successful in this life and how to plan for next life or how to plan for when, what happens to us when we die. The journey from life and beyond this journey is a different journey. I know, I don't know what time frame we have, but... We have a few more minutes. Yes, okay. No so now. let me share with you a thought process. I recently read a book called Man's Search for Meaning. And this is a book about somebody in the concentration camp, you know, in, in, in Germany, in, in, you know, after the World War, or, you know, just around that time. And it's a very powerful book. He shares his experience and, his, you know, his search for meaning was... He had a purpose, and the purpose was to somehow survive and be with the family. And that that became his purpose, and it helped him survive, or he he made it through the whole cycle of that uh, process that was happening. Whereas people, he mentions in the book, people who lost the will to live somehow disappeared within a few days. Now, fast forward to our time when you when we have a lot of things available to us, we are not in any, you know, no problem for food, no problem for living in a nice house. We have plenty of things, unlike time of Buddha when people had, you know, either too much or too poor. Our purpose of life is different. Our purpose of life is to lead a successful life, you know, to become affluent, to have holiday, vacations, you know, it's like pursuit of happiness. But is there any higher purpose than that? And that is when, if you go to the ancient India times, when people wanted this enlightenment, freedom from all bondage. So you follow what I'm trying to say? That In essence, what you're saying is that it's okay to have success and spiritual growth at the same time, because I think many of us think that it's either one or the other. And you're basically telling us that it's okay. Right, exactly. I mean, that's what I was trying to point. And also, yes, ultimately, we may want to go beyond it, but at least enjoy the fulfillment that you have or get those, and then you can have the next level of what you want done. Makes sense to me. 
Doctor, thanks so much for joining us. How can our listeners find you? So relax with two X, R-E-L-A-X-X dot O-R-G. They can download the app from there and I'll suggest you should give it a try as well. Doctor, thanks so much for joining us today. You've been listening to the Closer to Venus podcast. My name is Johnny Burke. Thanks again for tuning in and we will see you next time.